Good evening and welcome to NTD News. I'm Stephanie Cox. Here are today's top stories. The House Judiciary Committee subpoenas a number of federal agencies, including the CDC. Chairman Jim Jordan says the agencies pressured big tech to censor certain viewpoints. A growing number of Democrats are favoring a resolution to overturn a Biden administration policy on importing solar panels made in China, oftentimes with forced labor. Reserve troops could be deployed soon to the U.S.-Mexico border. This comes as a surge of illegal immigrants is expected to hit the southern border in just a couple of weeks. Russia launched major airstrikes on Ukrainian cities overnight. Apartment buildings destroyed and dozens of people killed. And in Boston, Harvard professors are standing up for free speech rights. They formed a council that has quickly grown to more than 100 members. Find out what kind of speech is most targeted. Another round of subpoenas coming out of the House Judiciary Committee. Now the committee is aiming to question the CDC over alleged censorship. Committee Chairman Jim Jordan sent the subpoenas to the CDC, the Cybersecurity and Infrastructure Security Agency, and the Global Engagement Center. Jordan says these federal agencies and big tech companies have weaponized their power to censor conservative viewpoints online. He added that the agencies failed to adequately respond to previous voluntary requests in March. The subpoena letters don't list any specific allegations the committee is investigating, but raise concern over censorship more broadly. The subpoenas request a broad range of documents and communications from the agencies by May 22nd. And another House committee probed the actions of the CDC this week. The president of the American Federation of Teachers, or AFT, is under fire for her comments during a House subcommittee's hearing on the pandemic. Earlier today, I spoke with Dr. Scott Atlas for his perspective. Dr. Atlas formerly advised the White House Coronavirus Task Force and now serves as a senior fellow at Stanford University's Hoover Institution. Let's see that now. Dr. Scott Atlas, welcome back. It's great to have you on again. Thanks for having me. Now, Randy Weingarten is facing heavy criticism for not taking responsibility for her support and advocacy of school closures during the pandemic. A number of people are demanding accountability. Do you think this criticism and these calls for accountability are warranted? Uh, absolutely. I mean, it's really one of the most heinous abuses uh, in modern times that the teachers and teachers unions were uh, influential in closing our schools, closing America's schools, not just in 2020, but in 2021 and in some cases 2022. I mean, even in 2020, just to be clear, the data was already in from more than a dozen countries, Norway, Sweden, Spain, the Netherlands, Ireland, uh, Iceland, Switzerland, France, Australia, Germany, Greece, South Korea, and even our own CDC, okay? Young children that were healthy had a minuscule risk from COVID. It was known, according to our own CDC, I'm talking by July 2020, that it was severely harmful to close schools, particularly low-income kids and minorities, you know, massive explosions in depression, suicidal ideation, self-harms. And then it was also known by the Europeans that the data was in, and in the summer of 2020, 
Teachers did not have a higher risk uh, than other professions. In fact, open schools were not associated with more infections by, to teachers or to the community. This was known and, and it was denied by the teachers' unions. During Weingarten's testimony, she conceded that she had consulted with the CDC several times beginning early 2021, and she also confirmed that her proposals had been accepted by the CDC. These include a work-from-home option for teachers with compromised immune systems and to revise the guidelines if a new variant emerged. Some are labeling this as undue influence. What's your take? Well, I don't think it, it has any role in in uh, public policy, although I think, you know, as a voter, as a citizen of the country, and of course, as a valued profession, teachers, of course, uh, you know, have, have to be able to express their views. But I want to point something out here, which was, A, teachers are low risk as a profession. The average age of a K-12 teacher is something like 41. Okay, 92% of teachers are under 60. This is a low-risk profession for COVID. It's not a high-risk profession. And, you know, lastly, uh, or not lastly, but in addition, the Chicago Teachers Union, the New York's Federation of Teachers, the National Teachers Unions, and in many different cities, were pressuring for school closures even during 2021 and 2022. I mean, this is extremely, uh, you know, a really a hideous abuse of the public because we entrust our kids to teachers. And if the teachers understood uh, the data, if they were capable, they wouldn't have said that. So they were either incapable of understanding facts or they were lying. Either way, they were unfit to teach our children. And so finally, overall, what impact do you think the prolonged lockdowns had on school children across the country? Well, I mean, the, the data is undeniable, and it's a very tragic uh, answer. Uh, when you review the insurance claims of March of 2021, <clears throat> we see that explosion of, of teenagers' drug abuse uh, from the isolation, teenagers, uh, particularly teenage girls, committing suicide. We have massive explosions in uh, depression, in anxiety. We have a new obesity crisis. In young people, the average weight gain for more than half of college-age kids in America was over 25 pounds. That's obesity. Uh, we're still dealing with that. And, and the, the sad fact is the learning losses and all of these harms were worse for minorities and poor people. I thought we were a society that cared about low-income people, kids, minorities. So we have to uh, take a look. There's a tragic, huge hole to dig out from but more than that, we have, as a society, we have to restore ethics and have morality back and understand that we have broken the social contract with our kids. We don't use kids as shields for adults. We're supposed to take care of our kids. Uh, we have a long way to go to restore what I consider an ethical society. Dr. Scott Atlas, senior fellow at Stanford's Hoover Institution and former advisor for the White House Coronavirus Task Force. Thank you. Over in Florida, lawmakers are amending the state's resign-to-run law. This essentially paves the way for Governor Ron DeSantis to run for president without having to resign from his current job. Both chambers of the Florida legislature have approved the provision, which was tacked on to a sweeping election bill. 
The bill now says elected officials must give up their current job if they run for higher office, except when they run for president or vice president of the United States. The bill is heading to DeSantis's desk for signature. And looking now at the environment and China, which sells solar panel parts, oftentimes made with forced labor, and a supply chain that ends in the U.S. Republicans and a growing number of Democrats are questioning the Biden administration's freeze on tariffs in the name of ramping up the solar industry. NTD's Melina Weiskup has the details. On a vote of 221 to 202, the House voted to overturn a Biden administration rule on solar imports. That allowed Chinese solar manufacturers who use forced labor uh, to dodge American trade laws and dump inferior product on the United States. This resolution is to force Biden to reinstate tariffs on solar imports from Southeast Asian countries, which use parts made in China and oftentimes reportedly made with forced labor. 80% uh, of the polysilicon capacity, 80% of the solar panel manufacturing capacity, that's all in China. So they have enslaved Muslim minorities working in these factories, and the factories are all powered by coal. They're kind of relaxing their moral guidelines in order to increase the amount of solar. The administration waived the tariffs as a way to ramp up solar power in the U.S. Those who opposed the resolution say it would harm our endangered planet. It will handcuff us in our fight against climate change. But other Democrats say the exact opposite. Senator Sherrod Brown saying, frankly, the president got this one wrong, highlighting that American solar manufacturers are often forced to compete with cheap labor from China. Senator Rick Scott, who's leading the Senate effort, applauded the House's passage, calling it disgusting that Biden's actions would shield Chinese solar companies, many of which are using child and slave labor and allow them to circumvent U.S. trade laws. There are a handful of Democrat senators who have expressed support for overturning President Biden's rule. It is expected to pass the Senate next week with bipartisan support, but President Biden says he would veto it. Under this circumstance, supporters of this resolution would need to shore up a bit more support from lawmakers, specifically two-thirds of a majority, in order to officially override President Biden's veto. Reporting in Washington, D.C., Melina Weiskup, NTD News. President Biden has authorized reserve troops to deploy to the southern border to help stop drug trafficking. This comes as a surge of illegal immigrants is expected in just a couple of weeks. NTD's Jason Perry has that story. Reserve troops could be deployed soon to help stop international drug trafficking at the southern border. In an executive order on Thursday, President Biden authorized the secretaries of the Department of Defense and the Department of Homeland Security to activate reserve forces as they consider necessary. I spoke with the founder and president of Convention of States Action, Mark Meckler, to see what he thought about it. Um, what's your take on this? Man, I love it and I support it and I hope it's the real deal and I hope that they've completely militarized the border. I mean, that's kind of where I think we're at. We've got an incredible amount of carnage at the border, bodies found every day on the, on the ranchers, ranches down there, migrants dying in transit. We have 70,000 people a year dying of fentanyl poisoning, one every seven minutes. And Meckler says he expects things to get much worse after Title 42 is lifted on May 11th. Title 42 allowed Border Patrol to turn away illegal immigrants at the southern border to prevent the spread of COVID-19 and other diseases. And all we have to do is look at the numbers of 
folks that were repelled under Title 42, that's estimated to be about two and a half million people. So now you have two and a half million people that are going to have an open invitation. But on Thursday, Secretary of Homeland Security Alejandro Mayorkas said this. Let me be clear. Our border is not open and will not be open after May 11th. And Meckler responded to Mayorkas's comments. Look, I've seen the videos. I've seen the bodies. I've seen the carnage taking place on the border. So anybody who tells us it's secure, they're not only not doing, not telling the truth, but they're lying to the American people about the fact that there's now an open war going on on our southern border. And he added this. And I think there's a question that we as Americans have to ask ourselves, and it's a moral question, really. How many more children am I willing to see sold into sexual slavery? Of course, my number is zero. Any moral person would say zero. Then I ask the question, how many more parents am I willing to see lose their children to fentanyl poisons? How many am I personally willing to say is the right number? And of course, my number is zero. How many more is the name of the rally Meckler will be hosting on Saturday, April 29th in front of the State Capitol building in Austin, Texas. Jason Perry, NTD News, New York. And we have more updates on the war in Ukraine. At least 25 Ukrainian residents were killed after Russia launched major airstrikes overnight. In the early hours on Friday, Russian missiles struck Ukrainian cities in a wide arc extending from the capital Kyiv through the central and southern regions. In the city of Uman in central Ukraine, at least 23 people, including four children, were killed when a rocket struck an apartment building. My apartment is on the seventh floor, on the other side of the block that was destroyed. We felt the impact and heard the explosion. I went to the door and unlocked it, but I couldn't open it because it was blocked. In the bathroom, all the doors were smashed. Further east in Dnipro, a woman and her child were killed at home. A child was reportedly hospitalized in a town outside of Kyiv after missile debris hit an apartment building. During a joint news briefing on Friday with Slovakia's president and the Czech president, Ukrainian President Vladimir Zelensky held a moment of silence to honor the victims. Russia launched more than 20 missiles. Our air defense forces managed to shoot down most of them, but unfortunately there were impacts. Unfortunately there were victims. Russia says it does not deliberately target civilians. Ukraine disputes the claim, saying the cities targeted are far from the front line. The early morning attacks on Friday marked Russia's first large-scale airstrikes in nearly two months. They came as Ukraine prepares to launch a counteroffensive to try to retake Russian-occupied territory. Reporting by Allison Lee, NTD News. And back in the U.S., more than 100 Harvard professors have joined a newly formed council that's fighting for free speech rights. NTD's Arlene Richards has that story. A new initiative at Harvard University hopes to protect free speech and academic freedom. Professors at the university told the New York Post there's been a gradual decline in free speech over a 10-year period. We announced earlier this month the Council on Academic Freedom has now grown to more than 100 Harvard faculty members. Two weeks ago, the Council's co-founder, psychology professor Steven Pinker, wrote in a Boston Globe op-ed, the embattled ideal of academic freedom is not just a matter of the individual rights of professors and students. It's baked into the mission of a university, which is to seek and share the truth. 
but members of the council said the censorship of free speech has entered a crisis mode. According to the Foundation for Individual Rights and Expression, or FIRE, between 2000 and 2022, there were 1,080 attempts across the country to punish scholars for exercising their free speech. I spoke to FIRE's Director of Faculty Outreach, Comey Fry, to find out more. And what we've documented is that there has been a huge spike in attempts to sanction scholars, starting in about between 2015 and 2017, and then again spiking in between 2019, 2020, 2021. So those are the two biggest spikes, but since 2000, just a completely consistent increase every year. She said one of the topics of speech people are overwhelmingly targeted for is race. For example, um, if you're on the left politically, um, or, um, if you're advocating for, for example, teaching critical race theory, I'm um, teaching about ideas of like systemic racism in American society, you're more likely to be targeted by the right. And specifically at Harvard, she said, faculty are more likely to be targeted from the left. It may be that students there are a lot more progressive than they are elsewhere. It could be that professors there are under a lot more scrutiny um, by people on the left. I'm not sure, but the Harvard scholars have been under fire more than scholars at any other university. She said undergraduate students are the leading source of targeting because they outnumber the faculty and because they can use social media to exert a lot of pressure in numbers. We reached out to Harvard University for comment we haven't heard back yet. Arlene Richards, NTD News. If you have any news tips or feedback for our show, you can email us at eveningnews at ntd.com. And coming up, a new documentary film looks into what's behind the mass exodus from the Golden State. 700,000 people have moved out in the past two years. We talked with the film's producer. And in the WNBA, Brittany Griner opens up in her first public comments since coming back from Russia, including about why she was there in the first place. That story and more coming up. There's a new documentary out on Epic TV about the exodus from California. I sat down with the film's host, Siamak Karami, who shares insights from his journey documenting the love, loss, tragedy, and hope of everyday Americans who are leaving California. Siamak Karami, welcome to our show. Thanks so much for coming on. Thank you for having me, Steph. Now, Wonderful documentary, Leaving California. What made you want to produce that? You know, over the last two and a half years, I've been interviewing guests on my show called California Insider, over 300 experts. And uh, they've all told me about problems California is facing. At the same time, we saw this trend of people leaving the state. So we wanted to go out in the field and figure out why are people leaving and how people are impacted on the ground. And what we found was fascinating, which is in this 70-minute documentary that you just mentioned, Leaving California, The Untold Story. Absolutely. And through this process, did it change you at all on how you see California? 
Yeah, you know, at at points it was uh, we we met a lot of different people. Some had a lot of resilience. You know, we had business owners that have been uh, robbed multiple times, and they kept continuing. We we met different kinds of people, and uh, at points I was concerned about my team leaving the state because of all the problems that we could see and the experts telling us. But at the same time, uh, we met a lot of people that love California, and we saw this love and hope in the same process that we saw all the problems. What exactly is giving you hope there for California? You know, a lot of the people that are leaving, they still love the state. And the experts that we talked about, we talked to, and they all want to change the state. They all want to improve the state. Everyone loved this place. And I could see the passion in these people that really want to do something about all these problems. And that's why they came on this documentary and they wanted to tell us about the problems so that we can solve them. And what are some of those problems? You know, we have, um, we have crime. We have, uh, one of the things we have done is we have essentially legalized theft in the state. We have passed laws that legalizes theft. We have uh, education is, is uh, uh, we are ranked really low among the states in the country. Only 30% of kids can read and do math at grade level while we're spending a tremendous amount of money on education. Businesses are leaving the state. We have homelessness. Uh, uh, we're spending a lot of money on homelessness, but we're not getting the results that we want. The housing costs are extremely high. And what we found in this process is a lot of the people are leaving because of these problems, but we went deeper to analyze why people are having these problems. And we realized that the state laws and policies are causing these problems. So fascinating there. How do you see this fitting into the bigger picture of America as a whole? If you know, does. California wants, it does. California actually wants to lead the world. California wants to lead the country. And if, if California continues in this rate and the rest of the nation usually follows California, then the rest of the nation will have similar problems as well. So this is a classic lesson for all the people across the country and across the world, and also for Californians to see what they've been voting for, and the policymakers in California to wake up and see what people are feeling on the ground. It seems like there's this big disconnect between the leaders of the state and the people. So an important piece here. What's next for you and for this documentary? So what we want to do is we want to make sure everybody who can see it go out there and see it. It's on Epoch TV and actually share it with everyone Everyone needs to see this documentary, and, and it's a pretty engaging documentary, and especially people in California need to see it. I can second that. It's a very powerful documentary. Thank you so much, Siamak Karami, host of California Insider and host of Leaving California, The Untold Story. Really recommend you Thank all you, go Steph. out and see it. Thank you. Thank you. To watch CMX's epic original documentary, Leaving California, you can visit leavingcamovie.com. You can also subscribe to Epic TV to access all epic originals, shows, movies, and other great content. And now to sports news. Here's NTD's Dave Martin with today's top stories. Thank you, Steph. WNBA star Brittany Griner held her first press conference yesterday since her return to the U.S. last December. The six-foot-nine-inch Star Wars shirt that read Bring Our Families Home and announced that she and her team, the Phoenix Mercury, 
will take part in a campaign in support of other Americans overseas. Greiner, who reportedly made more than a million dollars annually in Russia, was also asked whether there's a gender pay gap, to which she said that's why she was there. She also added, quote, as much as I'd like to pay my light bill for love of the game, I can't. Now, for clarity purposes, Griner was paid roughly $50,000 for her first season in the WNBA, though her average salary for the past eight years has been just over $170,000 a year. And in the NFL, the draft continues tonight with rounds two and three. The big question is where Kentucky quarterback Will Levis will end up after draft experts had the collegiate star pegged as a top five pick. And for your sports viewing schedule tonight, outside of the NFL draft, plenty more playoff action. First in the NBA, a pair of game sixes as the Lakers host Memphis up 3-2 while looking to move to the second round. And ditto for Golden State as they host Sacramento, needing one more win to advance. And for you hockey fans, plenty of playoff excitement with four teams on the brink of elimination. First in New York, the Islanders host Carolina up 3-2. Florida plays Boston at home down 3-2. Dallas plays at Minnesota while holding a 3-2 lead. And then defending champion Colorado Avalanche need a win in Seattle just to force a game seven. And in baseball, big night. 13 games on the schedule featuring the first place Pittsburgh Pirates who will start 43-year-old Rich Hill on the mound who's the oldest player in the major leagues. The 19-year veteran who's played for 12 different teams has posted a 2-2 record in five starts this season. He'll face the Washington Nationals. And that is it for your sports news today. Steph, back to you. Thanks, Dave. And that's all for today's news. Thanks for tuning in. I'm Stephanie Cox. Good night.